0: Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Keep going on our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm excited about this study. Excited about the journey. Started last week in Ecclesiastes chapter one, and uh, so let's let's keep rolling. Uh, first, I want to mention today. Um, everybody knows the name Warren Buffett, and uh, if Warren Buffett were to, I mean, if that guy sneezes, you know, the, all the stock markets have you know go on a little journey, but. Um, it, but if he says one sentence about what he has done or, or what he's about to do or something that he predicts about the future, I mean, the whole world listens. You hear it all across the globe immediately. If Jeff Bezos were to tomorrow say, come out and say, I'm starting a class on how to start and grow an online business. <laughs> I guarantee within five minutes, the whole class would be sold out and he would be full. Um, everyone wants the secret. From the top in their field. If, if you and I want to find the secret to meaning in life, to meaning and fulfillment, then we have to go no further than the one man, Solomon. He was wealthier than uh, Jeff Bezos in his time. He was smarter in his time than Warren Buffett or Elon Musk combined. He had more freedom and power than any of them, because he had the absolute power of a king. So he could literally do anything he wanted and change any law he wanted to, to suit himself. Francis Schaeffer said that God put Solomon on a philosophic time machine and asked, Can a man who has everything be satisfied? And Ecclesiastes is that journey. It is is Solomon's journal of discovery. It's his search for meaning. And he specifically is talking about searching for meaning under the sun. Now, the name Ecclesiastes, the word Ecclesiastes, is the Greek form of the word, uh, the the Hebrew word, which means preacher. That's what we have it here uh, translated. And we see it in verse 1, verse 2, translated that way, preacher. But it actually means one who assembles, a collector of sentences, a deep investigator. So the idea here is that Solomon has searched this entire world. He's collected answers for us, not just philosophy where we're just going to end up with more questions and going around in circles. But no, he has answers to give us about the meaning in life. And he gathers everybody, and he's going to share now those answers with us in this book. And he begins the book by telling us his main conclusion. He starts the whole thing off with his main conclusion. Now look at verse 2, Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 2. It's a quick review from last week. He says, Vanity of vanities, say it, the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Again, emptiness of emptiness. Emptiest, the, the emptiest you could possibly get. That's what life is. He says, everything on this earth is vanity. But then he clarifies what he means in verse three. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? Now, the phrase under the sun is the, is the key to understanding this entire book. It means uh, a life without God. It means without an eternal perspective. It's like the preacher here is saying, I've looked for meaning and fulfillment everywhere in this world under the sun. I did not look for it above the sun. Um, You know, eternal life, uh, heaven and hell, all of those things are a sermon for a different day. Right now, I'm going to look for meaning. Is there a way to find meaning and fulfillment under the sun only? If I don't look above the sun, but only under the sun, can I find it? And so, in other words, if I take God out of the picture, is there any lasting fulfillment? And then he, start, he gives us the, the conclusion right at the beginning, and he says, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's the answer. There is no fulfillment under the sun that you cannot find it without bringing God into the picture. And he goes on and on in this book to show what he means by that and how that is true. And today, we're going to look at Solomon's description of two things in particular that he took to the extreme and to show, or, and to find out, will these things bring fulfillment? Will these things bring meaning to my life? If I'm leaving God out of the picture, only under the sun, will these two things Bring me fulfillment. And those two things are intellectualism and hedonism, or wisdom and pleasure. And so here's what he goes, here's how he describes it. Number one, the emptiness of intellectualism. Ecclesiastes chapter one, now in verse 12 is where we left off last week. He says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under the heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. So the wisdom he speaks about here when he says, I gave my heart to seek and search out wisdom, it's more of an intellectual wisdom he's talking about. It's not the wisdom from God. So Solomon is saying, I went on an exhaustive intellectual pursuit. I was going to find out if there is something to know i wanted to know it in this world he became educated in the areas of science philosophy history <clears throat> fine arts social sciences literature psychology ethics languages you name it solomon went on a search and studied it out and he had access to all of that he could he could bring people in to help him study and know things he could go places many people and and we all know this today many people believe That knowledge and education is the way to happiness and fulfillment in life. If I only just keep growing, keep learning, keep knowing things, then I'll find it. The problem is that that journey is never ending. The more you know, as they say, the more you know, you don't know. And it leaves you with more and more questions. Anybody who studied long enough in any one particular area of study knows that, man, there's so much more to learn here. And so imagine in every area of study, Solomon discovered that this never-ending hunger and this thirst for knowledge that we all have, we all have just a desire to know more and and understand things. But he said, at the end of it, I realized that this is a sore travail that God has given to people, this, this desire for more knowledge. In other words, it's painful work because you never truly reach the end. You never satisfy it. It's like it just, it's just a constant wheel that you keep wanting more and more and more information. It's just a struggle your whole life for something else. One more piece of information, one more that might help me. Again, if I'm leaving God out of the picture and I'm just under the sun, one more little bit of information, One that might help, this might help. Maybe if I know this, maybe if I was to, I was to understand that, and then my head could be at peace and I could be at rest and I could have satisfaction. No, it will not work. And here's what he says in verse 14. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity, and vexation of spirit. Vexation of spirit means striving or chasing the wind. It's like he said, the whole journey really is. I feel like I'm just grasping at air. I'm 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 trying to put my arms around wind. It's, it's nothing. It's emptiness. I keep I keep thinking I, I keep thinking I have something, but I don't have it. Solomon said, all of this pursuit for knowledge is. Chasing the wind, you never can quite actually catch what you're looking for. A few decades ago, Malcolm Mugridge, who was he was raised a socialist, educated at Cambridge University, and eventually got saved, got born again, and became a well-known Christian writer. He, had a, he was a journalist, and he, he had a funny way of thinking and a neat way of writing. But here's one thing, one thing that he said that I want to show you what he said about education. He said, education... The great mumbo-jumbo of the ages purports to equip us to live and is prescribed as a universal remedy for everything from juvenile delinquency to premature senility. For the most part, it only serves to enlarge stupidity, inflate conceit, enhance credulity, and put those subjected to it at the mercy of brainwashers with printing presses, radio, and television at their disposal. Come on. And now we can, of course, add the Internet. But he's right. Education is not the thing that will bring people ultimate fulfillment. It just will not. If education could save us, then America would be saved by now. We've got plenty of education out there. There's plenty of people talking in schools. What schools, colleges, and universities need to do, think about this, what schools and colleges, if they really want to help people, What they should do is every professor should get up at the beginning of his class and he should get his class there and he should say, "Okay, what I'm about to teach you is not going to bring ultimate fulfillment. (laughs) You need to go to Jesus for that. But we'll learn some helpful things along this class. That's how that's how the premise of every single class should be. But it's not going to matter of fact, it's interesting if you think about it, that the one place in the world, in America, that should be teaching young people about how to truly have meaning in life is the one place that we're leaving God out of. Amen. What, a, what a reminder that there is an attack on young people, and there is an attack on this world today. So why does education fall short in providing satisfaction for Solomon? Well, Solomon gives the reason this whole thing will not work, and that is verse 15, that which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting or lacking cannot be numbered. Uh, Solomon says the reason this is never going to work, education will never work, is because no matter how much the thinker ponders, he cannot put everything in the world into a nice little neat system. Some things in the world are just crooked and they can't be straightened out in your head. Some things are lacking and they just cannot be figured out mathematically. Sounds like our president. <laughs> Life is flawed. I mean, everybody knows that. Life is just, there's problems that are unsolvable. Physical diseases, poverty, natural disasters, emotional and psychological issues. Why certain things happen to some people and not to other people. Life is flawed. This world is flawed and it is mysterious. Some of you have faced the pain of cancer in your family. Some of you have lost children. Some of you are dealing with Crooked things that, humanly speaking, can't be figured out. Why this? Why does this happen to this person and not to this person? I, there is just no way to know certain things. If you leave God out of the picture, you're left frustrated and confused. You so want mathematical answers. You so want to put everything into a neat system and have everything work out exactly how you want it. But I'm sorry, it will never quite fit into the little neat little box that you think it should be in. The more you know, the more you're aware that life is a puzzle. It's it's a puzzle that can't fully be solved. Verse 16, Solomon goes on. He says, I communed with my own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that had been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 17, And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit or chasing the wind for in much wisdom verse 18 for in much wisdom listen to this is much grief and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow Henry Martin after winning top honors at Cambridge universities uh, Cambridge university he said this he said I was surprised to find that I had grasped at a shadow I, I'm surprised to find that I had grasped at a shadow. He's echoing what Solomon is saying here. Obviously, we need good education. Good education is important, and and he'll talk about wisdom in, in a little bit, of how important it is under the sun, but it's not the savior of mankind. It can never be. Quite the contrary, if anything, intellectualism, he, uh, he says here, made him more sad. The more I know... The more I increased in sorrow, the more I- information I got, the more grief I got. Honestly, for me, I'll just say, as I was thinking through this, <laughs> the older I get and the just more information you have and more experience you have and the more things you see in people and the more situations you're, you're aware of, the more things that I know then that can happen to my family and to the people that I love and the people that I know and myself. And I gets, it gets me more worried. My mind starts spinning. The more I know, the more worried I get. I used to tell our kids when, as they were young, and I used to every now and then wheels, they're going out for school in the morning. Because, you know, we're, we live back here. They kind of walk to school over here as they, when they're young. And I would just joke with them. I'd say, watch out for giraffes uh, out there. Watch out for elephants. Watch out for aardvarks as they're going around the, own. oh, dad, stop. Watch out for, you know, I just whatever I could find, just to be silly and fun. But they didn't know that in my heart I was thinking, Things like watch out for bad influences, yeah, watch out for drugs, you know, watch out for demons, watch out for all that stuff in the world that that could get you there. You know, as a child, you're just living a carefree life. And the parents, we worry more because we know what's out there. Knowledge can drive you mad. It really can. <laughs> that's, maybe that's why the professors, the, the, the most brilliant professors that you see are all the guys with their hair sticking out here. And <laughs> like, I mean, they're all unkept. I'm like, man, what is does matter with you? Um, But knowledge makes you go crazy. Ignorance really is sometimes more blissful. So since wisdom can't fully satisfy the human heart and and that's not going to work, Solomon says, okay, now I'm going to turn to something else. There's got to be something else. I'm going to turn to pleasure. So now he's going to talk about the emptiness of hedonism. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 in verse 1, Solomon says, I said in mine heart, Go to now, I will prove thee or test thee with mirth or gladness. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. The philosophical word for, that we're using here, hedonism, it comes from the Greek word hedone, which means pleasure. Hedonism is the belief that happiness can only be obtained by seeking as much pleasure as possible and avoiding pain as much as possible. And there were uh, Epicurus and other uh, philosophers that took on this idea. Do you, do you want something? Uh, then go after it and get it. Make life all about how you feel. No one likes to feel pain, so, so do whatever you can to not feel pain. Everyone likes to feel pleasure. I mean, that's why they call it pleasure. So it makes logical sense then to make feelings, uh, number one, go after a good feeling down here under the sun. So Solomon said, all right, I'll chase that. I'll go after that and see if this works. But Solomon, he says right here at the beginning of his search, he gives us the conclusion already again, behold, this also is emptiness. It's vanity. It's just a handful of nothing. I love what Tommy Nelson said. He said, pleasure, listen, is like morphine to a dying man. It doesn't heal you, it just carries you to the next shot. Verse, And here's the description of Solomon's search. Verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad, it's crazy. And of mirth, what do with it? So he immediately gives the conclusion on laughter, which is joy, gladness, banqueting, partying. He says it's mad, it's foolishness. It's pointless, really. There's nothing really to it. Just because someone is laughing, it doesn't mean that they are truly happy in their heart. Billy Graham, he told a great story in in one of his books about a disturbed patient who went to a psychiatrist for help. And the man was just deeply depressed and everything the doctor tried to help him with would not help. Relieve that burden of that depression on him. And as the time went by and this psychiatrist was trying to think of something, at last this psychiatrist thought of something. He said, OK, listen, you know, I, I know this hasn't been a great deal of help to you. But I just heard that in town there's a great uh, show that's been come, that's come to town. And a comedian uh, is there and he's he has everybody rolling in the aisles. I mean, apparently it's just so popular. Everybody loves it. It might be just good therapy for you to go sit in there uh, at that show and enjoy it. Just to laugh for a while. Take a load off. Forget your troubles. So why don't you go ahead and go? And the patient then looked at the psychiatrist and said, well, thank you, as he stood up to leave. But he turned back and said, I am that comedian. Oh. See, laughter and partying and having a good time is just like morphine to a dying man. It's only there for a moment. It may may help you for just a moment, but it doesn't solve the ultimate issue. Solomon goes on. I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly or foolishness, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. So here he says, I'm going to try. He says, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to go for pleasure here. And I'm going to try all the best wines. And we live in a part of the world where people love that concept. But notice, he says, "I'm really, I'm not going to get wasted drunk, though. And that's what he means by yet acquainting my heart with wisdom. I'm going to retain my wisdom while on this journey. I'm going to drink, but... I, and I'm going to make sure I try it all, but I'm not going to go to the point of being crazy because I know that's ridiculous. But I'm going to have the best time possible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if this balanced use of this substance was the secret to satisfaction. And he, remember, he's trying to do everything under the sun. If, if this is what people seem to love, then let me at it. Let me give it a shot. And thousands of years later, now from Solomon... People are still trying to see if substances like drugs and alcohol will be the thing that will bring peace. We're trying to drown out the noises in our heads. We're trying to drown out all that stuff with some kind of a substance. Will it bring peace? Will it bring fulfillment? Well, if wine is the secret, uh, (laughs) then um, again, we would be fine by now. Everybody would be great. But wine is not. And And as Solomon found out, it isn't. It will not help. And then he says, okay, then what about all the other things that people love? The, the thing, the pleasure that people are all, everyone's after. Look at verse 4 through 7 here. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. And I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. So here he is. He has houses, he has lands, he has waterfront living, he has wealth, and he has everything that comes with wealth. Surely, if anything could bring satisfaction, it's this it's the American dream. It ha- this has to be it. Own a nice house have some nice things, retire nicely, sit back on the porch and do nothing. That is it. This is the ultimate peak of life. This has to bring fulfillment. But guess what? If you have, when you get that big house, when you're sitting on that nice porch, guess who's in that big house with you? Yourself. You have to live with yourself, the inner you. Houses are good, but they are not an end In and of themselves. You would think they are with the way people pursue and talk about them. But Solomon had more house and possessions than anyone could ever imagine. And he says it did not satisfy. Verse 8. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. He had a concert or theater performance every night of the week. He collected money from neighboring nations and provinces in the area. This guy had everyone's dream, passive income. <laughs> and he just sat there and money was just flowing in. Lots of this money coming into his treasury day, day after day after day. And again, Solomon was married to 700 women. Whoa. 700 women and 300 concubines he had. And... Um, and uh, these often, almost all of them, were to secure peace with other nations. And he had these peace treaties. But then they would begin paying uh, tribute money to him. But, of course, think about how he had to provide for all those 700 wives. I mean, I think of how many times my wife goes to Target. I mean, multiplied by 700, that's <laughs> insane. And, and, and of course, that's not the worst of it, as everybody has said. If you have 700 wives, the, the most ridiculous thing... Solomon, you have now seven hundred mother-in-laws. I mean, think about that, Solomon. Get a grip, man. Sounds pretty bad. But uh, but all joking aside, listen. Let me just mention his wives and concubines. Seven hundred wives, three hundred concubines. Back then, and now, and even some countries, uh, multiplying wives is a sign of financial status. And God was never for it. Never. He, just because it mentions it in the Bible and mentions it that this is what Solomon did does not mean God approved. In fact, it's, and it's really a sign of extreme decadence. It shows that you are a man that can have anything he wants. I can have anything I want. But God was very clear in his law, in the Old Testament law, in particular to kings, he said, do not multiply wives. Do not. And this turned out to be Solomon's biggest sin because we know it was these women who, at the end of his life, eventually led his heart away from the Lord. And no one can get away with breaking God's commands. Nobody. But at this time, Solomon, when he's talking here in the book of Ecclesiastes, he was on this pursuit to find out what could bring fulfillment under the sun. Maybe if I multiply my wives and get more and more and more, uh, the sexual pleasures of life, well, that has to fulfill. It did not, and it will not he looked under the sun and he discovered that wealth and all of this will not do it. Verse nine, so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Wow, what a statement. Whatever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was the portion of all my labor. If my eyes desired it, I went for it. That's hedonism. If I want it, I'm going to go after it. But notice this, the last part of this verse it says, My heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. In other words, the joy, the only joy that I got out of this labor, all of this going after all of this stuff, was the labor itself it was the building of it the, lab, the the that was my portion that was my share of joy the activity more than the achievement at the end brought me the pleasure i think we all i hope we all understand this much of the joy in life is the building it's having something to work towards something to do in life that is there's just, just that there is a special joy in that god is a creator and i love what some Someone has said, God has created us to create. We kind of have that in us to create something, to do something. And this is why often, or sometimes, retirees lose the joy of life. Because they have nothing more to build, nothing more to go after. We need goals, we need things to do, we need stuff to go after. And that's what Solomon said with Joy. You know, by the time I was all done with it and sat there, I mean, then what? Then what? So I got all this stuff. Big deal! But even if there was some joy in that, it still, it still couldn't satisfy. Verse 11, then I looked on all the works. I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and all the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity. All was empty. And it was just chasing the wind. It was vexation of spirit. And there was no prophet under the sun. There it, again, there it is again. No prophet under the sun chasing the wind. So, so what if I have a bigger house? So what if I can go to a concert every night? So what did I drink some wine? It's morphine to a dying man. It does not satisfy. It's a short hit that gives me something now, but then I'm still going to need something. There's, there's more to life than stuff. So Solomon sums up his search for intellectualism and hedonism by comparing the two now. And that's what we're going to see. The examination now of wisdom and folly. So I'm going to take wisdom and I'm going to take foolishness, this chasing after everything. And now I'm going to examine both of them together, kind of compare the two. Verse 12. And I turn myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath been already done? Solomon looked and thought very deeply about all these things. I mean, he went into the he went into complete Examination mode here. I'm going to think very deeply about all these things, all this wisdom that I have attained, all this pleasure that I went after, and now I'm going to think deeply. What did they bring to me? In fact, he says his goal was to consider these questions of life more than anyone ever has or that anyone coming after him ever will be able to. There would be no one coming after me that could say that they pursued after this more than I have. That's my goal. I'm going to think about this deeply. So we have answers here. Verse 13, then I saw that wisdom... Excelleth folly or foolishness as far as light excelleth darkness. He says, if you're comparing wisdom and foolishness and pleasure and all of that, wisdom is certainly better than foolishness. Wisdom is better than folly on this earth under the sun. In other words, your life will be better down here if you're wise rather than if you're a fool, just as it's better to have light in this life than darkness. Uh, So you can be just smarter about things. But then verse 14, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Sure, he says, I'll choose being wise over being a fool. If, If I had the choice under the sun, I'll take that one. But when all is said and done, when the fool lives his life and the wise man lives his life, there's still one event that happens to the seeing and the blind. There's one event that happens to the wise man and the foolish man And guess what that event is? Death. Verse 15. Then then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. Verse 16. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? Wisdom is better than foolishness, but... As a cure for the ultimate problem in life, earthly wisdom is useless. Anything, any knowledge, any information you can get down here, it's not going to help you with the ultimate fulfillment in life. Spend your life getting smart and someday, guess what? You'll just be a smart dead person. (laughs) That's what he said. You're just going to be a really smart dead guy, just like the dead idiot that's buried right next to you. Guess what? Someone, I love what someone has said. Somebody said the, the worm always wins. It gets everyone and everything. I don't care who you think you are. The worm is going to eat you. We're going to see that this thought that the wise person has the same ending as the foolish person really bothered Solomon. And he said the days to come shall all be forgotten. The wise man will be forgotten. The fool will be forgotten. Whether you're wise or, or, or you're a fool from an earthly perspective The things that you do today, the things that you do tomorrow will be forgotten. You go in the grave, they put dirt on top of you, and then everybody goes and has lunch. I read one very depressing statement about this verse. They said, memories are too short to make human endeavors worthwhile. (laughs) I hated that, but I wanted to share with you in my misery. Memories are too short (laughs) to make human endeavors worthwhile. That's what Solomon's getting at here. From an earthly perspective, they've got out of the picture. From an earthly perspective, what's the point in making memories? Yeah, maybe your kids will remember some of the things you've done. Maybe your grandkids might remember this much of what you've done. But your great-grandkids, sorry, buddy. And your great-great-grandkids, they won't even know your name. Aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> Everybody's probably bumping their mates like, we're not coming back next Sunday. That's No, no, no way. Well, did. Well, th- th- this did lead to misery for Solomon. Look what he says, verse 17. Therefore, look what he says next. I hated life. I hated life. Now that, real quick, this is the description of so many people today. Chasing after pleasure, and you know it. Many people have gotten to that place in their life. You look around, you've done so much, you've gotten stuff, or you've gone after pleasure and you hate them yourself. Look at me. I'm a, I'm a drunk. I'm, I'm nothing. I've, what's, what's my life amounted to? I hate my life. And that's what happens when you leave God out of the picture. That's what Solomon is saying. Therefore, I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun under the sun is grievous unto me for all is vanity. It's emptiness and chasing after the wind. Verse 18. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? He shall, uh, Ye shall have, Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Lots of people share that sentiment. Who am I leaving my stuff to? Will they be wise or a fool? Will they be appreciative or an ingrate? What will they do with everything that I work so hard to obtain? I'm just going to hand it to my kids or my grandkids. What are they going to do with it? All of this made Solomon hate life, it says. And we know that Solomon had Rehoboam next, who definitely wasted the thing that Solomon left him. Solomon was sinking deeper in misery here, and just like anyone would who's trying to find meaning from an earthly perspective. Verse 20, Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity, Yet to a man that hath not labored therein, shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. The sad truth is that those who don't work for things often are the most wasteful. Because there's very little character in them. They haven't worked for that stuff. And then when we give it to them, they just waste it. And this is why as Christians, the far more valuable thing that we could leave to our children and our grandchildren is a godly heritage. Sure, we can try and bless them with some financial help, but it's often a curse for a person with little character to have resources that they didn't work for. And if I just leave it to them, it could be very damaging to their life and to their soul. So honestly, folks, I mean, we want to leave stuff to our kids, but don't worry so much if you don't have a ton to give to your kids materially. But work hard at leaving a spiritual legacy. Work hard at that. Martin Luther wrote in his last will and testament, look what he wrote. Lord God, I thank you because you have been pleased to make me a poor and indigent man upon the earth. I have neither house nor land nor money to leave behind me. You have given me wife and children whom I now restore to you. Lord, nourish, teach, and preserve them as you have me. See, a spiritual inheritance, he understood it right a spiritual inheritance and leaving my kids to the Lord's care is worth far more than a physical one. But if my view is only under the sun, then this is the conclusion of all of this. Verses 22 and 23. For what hath man of all his labor and of the, ve- and of the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun for all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart hath not taken or hath taken not rest in the night. This is also vanity. He says all the, all the things Solomon went through, made him have sorrow-filled days. I'm only looking under the sun. I'm just working, 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 trying to build everything, build everything, build everything. And it's just, it just leads to more sorrow. It just leads to emptiness. It's so much, when I think about it, I can't even sleep at night, is what he's saying. i don't have rest at night. Again, this is what happens when we leave God out of the picture. But let me give some light here real quick. I can't leave us at this place. If we look above the sun... Are you ready to look above the sun a little bit here? Because this is is very dark. I'm going to give a little bit of light here. Psalm 112 and verse 6. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. And then the wonderful truth of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, In the Lord, see when we look above the sun, we give our hearts to the Lord. If you labor for the Lord, just all of your life, make it about the Lord. Then nothing you do is in vain. Nothing, it's not empty. The little things you do in this life are uh, matter; they have meaning. God made has made it so that the things we do here have eternal significance. And that is when you look above the sun, you realize that ah, my life matters. Every part of what I do matters. Going to work matters. How I treat my family matters. The words I say matter. Everything truly does matter. And my labor can make a huge impact for the Lord. Lastly, real quick, and we're going to end this here, but the enjoyment of God's blessings. Most scholars see a turn right here in the book of Ecclesiastes in this section and we see what Solomon says, there is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. This is the, I think this is the interpretation here. Solomon is saying that there is nothing better in this life than to enjoy what you have. But here's the caveat. This is very important. You need to enjoy it within the framework that everything you have is a blessing from God. Amen. It comes from him. When that's your thought, when that's where your heart is, you truly can enjoy everything. And and it's not empty. He's not saying to go crazy and do everything you want. This is not about licentiousness. This is about contentment in your heart. Enjoy things that God has given you for the very reason that it is a gift from the Lord, from your father. See, you really begin to enjoy life. It puts a smile on your face when you see everything you've got as a gift. This is a gift. God's given this to me. <clears throat> if you, the, the, if you, the stuff you have, if you view them as just things that you're trying to chase to get fulfillment, then you'll never have fulfillment. But if you see the things in your life as blessings from the hand of God, then you find more enjoyment throughout your life. Because now the things are, all, everything's connected to him. Verse 25, for who can eat or who else can Can hasten thereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. Listen to that again. For God giveth to a man that is good, that is a a saved person, a righteous person in his sight. He gives him wisdom, knowledge and joy. That's what God will give you. But to the sinner, he giveth travail to gather and to heap up. That he may give it to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. He says if you're good in the sight of God, your person received the righteousness of Christ, you've risen above the sun in your heart, you've invited God into every area of your life, you bring God into the picture, you follow his ways, then God's going to give you wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But if you're a sinner, you reject God, then you're going to end up with vanity and vexation of spirit. And God's going to take all the things that you've accumulated and eventually give it to the person that God wants, the person who is good in God's sight, it says. We don't know when that's going to happen, but we do know other scriptures say the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. The meek shall inherit the earth. Eventually, God's people come out the winners. And those who reject God lose everything. That's how this is all going to go down. And a life lived for self and about self is truly the most empty and meaningless existence there is on this planet. Oh, the people would come to the end of themselves. D.L. Moody said this. He said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. And that's our God. He'll take anybody. Just come empty. Come with open hands, not closed hands. Uh, Come asking and not demanding and God will give you the desires of your heart. Lord, we love you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.